Hello and welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. In this episode, we dive into the dynamic life of Marcus Simon, who serves as a delegate in the Virginia House of Delegates. He's also a lawyer and has a real estate practice, Echo Title. During our discussion, Marcus shares a journey that began with a rebellious spirit of seeking financial independence. How did finding his dream role in the military impact his journey? Who had a significant impact on his path and dared him to dream bigger? And what was the pivot moment that compelled him to serve in politics? From navigating law school, his experience as a prosecutor, and journey into political office, he reflects on the transformative impact of his experiences. Enjoy this episode. Generally, what we like to talk about is career path and how people have found where they are. And I'm a huge believer that there's never a straight line and that it requires there's pivots and you can have these intersection points. And so you have had just when I was doing this cursory review, like you've done that a lot. So I'm really interested to hear how that's progressed for you. So tell me a little bit about a day in the life today. I always like to start with the current state. Sure. So, yeah, and I know you wear a couple of different hats, so maybe just talk about the different roles that you have. Today's sort of an interesting one of these, right? So I, I'm uh, an entrepreneur. I've got my own title company. I'm a lawyer. Yes. Um, I also am a member of the Virginia House of Delegates, and I represent the Falls Church area, and, and we're right in the middle right now of campaign season. So uh, my days are, are pretty crazy, right? Yes. So um, last night I was at a meet a dinner for the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association and you know get to know some candidates and some of us veterans were there you know this morning I had to go to my my office uh, in McLean and sign checks because we had settlements that happened yesterday and you know yeah. I, I'm the guy who signs the checks and make sure everybody gets paid you know, a couple of client calls received a couple of incoming uh, contracts which is great um, and then got in the car to come here to start listening to the <laughs> podcast so I knew what I was getting myself into a little bit uh, and then I'll go back uh, and do a real estate settlement this afternoon uh, wow. for some clients. And then uh, this evening, uh, I've probably gotten a campaign event where I'll probably stump for a candidate who's, who's running for office and help them raise some money. Uh, in between, there's uh, I was also on the phone with my campaign manager planning uh, our next event. And then we were also, yesterday I met with uh, a group called Big Money Out, and they are um, campaign finance reform group. And we were actually talking strictly legislative stuff, not campaign stuff, but like, hey, what's your legislative agenda for campaign finance for 2024 and starting to think about strategies for, for putting bills together. So it's great for somebody who, um, I don't want to say ADD because people say that, but yeah, I've never been diagnosed with ADD, although my daughter has. So I kind of figure maybe they just missed me, but yeah. for somebody whose attention likes to go back and forth, I can I, I like to shift gears quickly and it, it, certainly never get bored, right? It's interesting. I think now the term that's used a lot is context switching and that you're able to switch contacts from all these different roles that you've had. And I think, I don't know about you, just as you're talking about it, though, there is sort of an adrenaline that comes from that or being able to hop in and switch gears and solve a problem here and solve a problem there and kind of think about it in the context of that. I always think of it in terms of problem solving, but then like, what's the issue of the day? And like, how do you kind of get after it? For you, let's talk a little bit about, well, I'd love to just, right before you got here, I was talking with the team and we were saying, you know, how common or how much do people really know about being part of the House of Delegates? And what does that really mean? And it goes back to, I always think of like school rock or whatever, right? But maybe give us just a quick, if you wouldn't mind, grounding in legislative, governmental, like where do you fit in that whole scheme? Sure thing. Yeah, it, it really, uh, the Schoolhouse Rock analogy is great. And, and maybe we'll come back to that because you know, one of the things I love about what I do is that- I'm just the, the, well, the, <laughs> the, And the state legislature actually works as opposed to Congress, which a lot of people pay attention to, it works a lot more like the old video. Like, you know, okay. um, things never seem to happen in, in regular order in Congress anymore, but we actually do, like it literally goes from being somebody's idea to getting a bill drafted and you can watch it go through the process all in about 60 days. So let me give you a little more, con- so yes. it's the state legislative level, right? So the things that, uh, so you've got your county board, so if you, you know, your school systems or school board, 
uh, you know, your county you know, picks up your trash and buildings can go next to you and what the development's going to be at the place next door. That's at the county level, the zoning and, and that sort of thing and schools themselves and police. Uh, and then at the state level, it's broader, right? We make policy for the entire state. We do a state budget. You know, VDOT, Virginia Department of Transportation, actually does the highways. We do the criminal code, right? So what's legal? So, you know, are we going to be a state where marijuana is legal or not? Are we going to have a marketplace for it? Those are decisions we make at the state level. Generally, uh, gun violence policy and gun policy, that's often, that's generally made at the state level. So how's that going to work? Uh, abortion access, which is going to become a big issue, uh, is going to be decided by the state legislature. So I'm, and there, we have two houses in, the, in Virginia. It's, it's like Congress, where there's a House of Representatives and a Senate. We have a House of Delegates and a State Senate. I'm in the House of Delegates, and that's the larger body with 100 members. Uh, we're elected every two years. So we have shorter terms. There are more of us, smaller districts. The Senate has 40 members, uh, and they're up every four years. And so that's the state legislature. And of course, we interact with the governor, um, who's you know, the executive branch mm -hmm. at the state level. So how long have you been doing this? Like, we were just chatting about this, too, like in terms of when did you start in this role? Yeah, so I'm, I was first elected in the 2013 cycle. So 10 years ago. Um, and so I've been doing this. I was sworn in in 2014. So I've been doing this for 10 years, uh, up for re-election in November. So going for, you know, years 11 and 12, if I'm successful. And, but I've been involved with the state legislature. I sort of discovered it now a little over almost 30 years ago. Uh, right out of college in 92, I was looking for a job and thought I was going to be a journalist, thought I was going to be a foreign correspondent. Mm -hmm. um, but I uh, ended up meeting a guy who needed a legislative aid. I needed a job. So I went to work for a guy named Jim Scott, who was the House of, a member of the House of Delegates at 22. I, didn't, I knew that we had one, didn't know much <laughs> yeah. more than that or what it was about. Uh, and so I figured, well, I can do some writing. It's not really you know, press, but I can be on this sort of the other side. I can manage the press and do some press work and write press releases and pitch newspaper articles and do constituent. We actually write letters. I mean, that was back when we got mail and we had to answer it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm like, all right, I'll try it for a little while. And I went with him down to Richmond as a 23 year old. And I got to do, so we're in session, we're part-time legislature. Uh, we're in session 60 days out of the year in the even years and 45 days in the odd years. So we have long and short sessions. So I went down with him for a 45 day session in 93 and just fell in love with the whole process. Cause like I was saying earlier, it is just like, you know, the schoolhouse rock and that you have a constituent who's having a problem and they go to a lawyer and the lawyer says, I can't help you because the law says this. And they're like, well, how do I fix that? Well, you know, call your state legislator. If you don't like yeah. the outcome, call your state legislator. So, you know, people come to us with ideas. I had somebody uh, when I was delegate, you know, was having a problem getting their mother's durable power of attorney from Pennsylvania recognized in Virginia. It turns out Virginia doesn't participate in this interstate compact for powers of attorney. And so we introduced legislation to do that. So it literally goes from somebody calling and having an idea. You call the, the Department of Legislative Services, you get a bill drafted, you watch it go through subcommittee and committee and to the House floor, and then over to the Senate, same thing happens again, and then it goes to the governor's desk. You watch all that happen in a period of, from like say January 10th when we're sworn, when we we sit down to, you know, end of March. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's years and years and years. Yeah. It, it all happens. And then, you know, July 1st, you have a new law and your constituents problem is solved. If you're somebody that has an idea or is someone that wants to make that phone call, is the timing of that call important given when you're in session? So. Now that you've given us that insight, you know, do you do you wait and in November or December make that call, or is it a you know to get on that docket? I guess is really a question. No, I mean that's a great question. It's a and it's a process, and it's funny. A lot of people, you know, because they sort of tune in, they call me in January and say, "Hey, you guys just started your session. I've got a bill idea." And I'm like, "It's too late." <laughs> yeah. Right. We're it's a 45 yeah. day session. All our bill drafts are off. To, you know, most of them are due the the first day of session, and then we have like about two weeks to to get it. We get squeeze five more bills in. So, yes, you want to start working on it usually over the summer. That's, again, why I was on the phone yesterday, right, September now, yeah. as we're recording this. And I yeah. was on the phone yesterday with somebody saying, hey, what are we going to put in for January? So you need to start at about a quarter in advance. Okay. And so, you know, um, and then, but and look, some ideas aren't that simple, right? That's the, the power of attorney thing was a simple idea with a simple fix. Uh, some things take longer to socialize, and sometimes it's a multi-year process. Yep. We created a... Um, 
Office of Student Loan Ombudsman in Virginia. We had a lot of folks defaulting on their student loans or getting into student loan agreements they didn't really understand. And there was they were being sold things. There's no objective source of information. So we established a student loan ombudsman's office in Virginia. But that was like a four-year process. Yeah, um, that makes sense. There's going to be short-term, like mid-term, long-term in terms of the kind of change that you're trying to make. Yep. Tell me a little bit, because you mentioned going to school for journalism and you had a perspective, you know, at the top of this, we talked about like having a goal and being like, this is what I think I want to be. And obviously at 18 through 25, I think we're all, <laughs> you know, we don't always know or we think we know, but then we don't. So you had an idea that you wanted to be a journalist. You went to school for that. So tell me you had this exposure as an aide. And then when did you become an attorney? Because that tell me a little bit about that path. Right. So, so I, as I was telling you earlier, I've been listening to some of your prior episodes and prep for this. Yes. And so th there are some twists and turns. And this is one of the things I've always felt was important is, you know, I was, I was never a straight line person. I, you met some folks that said, hey, listen, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be pre-law. Then I'm going to go to law school right after that. And then I'm going to be in a big firm. And then seven years, right. I'm going to be, you know, partner track, do or die kind of a thing. And that was never anything that I was I thought I would do. First of all, my dad was a lawyer. And so I started out thinking, I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be anything <laughs> like my dad. There's all those jokes about lawyers, right? It's terrible. <laughs> my dad's advice, too, was don't be a lawyer. He's like, yeah. yeah, I'd rather be a client than a lawyer. So, But I knew what I was good at, right? And I went to uh, school, and I was good at writing. I could write well. Yeah, people enjoyed my writing. And uh, so, I, and I'd done journalism in high school a little bit. And so I figured I'd go to college. I'll do what, what, what's interesting to me and what, what comes sort of easily. Um, and so anything to do with writing, but mostly the, the – the very straight ahead journalistic writing was, was what was I was good at. And so uh, I, I experimented a little bit with creative writing and stuff like that, but it was mm -hmm. more effort. So, yes. <laughs> um, you know, but I was also told, you know, and this was interesting, I was in one of your soft skills folks, but do journalism as like a minor. In other words, don't study journalism too much because the journalists will teach you journalism. They want you to learn, do something where you learn to think or whatever. So I'm like, all right, I'll learn. I'll do Near Eastern studies, Middle Eastern studies as my major. So I have some subject matter expertise that they can't teach me. And then I can take that. Um, this is the plan, right? So I'll take my, hey, look, I'm an expert. I can really understand the Middle East and I can go over there and I can you know, understand the culture and, and navigate that. Uh, I can also write. But if you guys want me to write differently, we can work on that. Or if you want me to do broadcast, I can learn to do that piece of it. So that was the original thought. Um, and then I graduated and I, um, I, it's funny, they, they told me to stop using their paper. I was in the newspaper office, and I must have sent off. Again, this was before you, you had yeah. Indeed or online. And we or graduated anything. in a tough, remember it was, it was a tough, recession. Tough economy. It was and I sent off, said these clips. I made this, you know, I, all my, my college newspaper clips and everything. So I had a clip about 30 or 40 clips, which is about 30 or 40 pages, wow. and a cover letter. And I sent off probably 200 to like every newspaper you can imagine, every little newspaper, every big newspaper, all over the. The country. I, I, we got a collection of, of ding letters, we call them, rejection letters. Yeah, I literally, yeah uh, that was... Put them up on the wall oh in my, my little gosh. cubicle at the newspaper of all the people that said, basically one of two answers, which was, hey, you know, well, three three answers. One is, hey, you know, thank you for, for writing. Not, don't have any openings right now. Uh, two, we think you'd be great. We'd love to have you here. We don't start anybody off paid. You got to come do like a one-year unpaid internship. And I'm like, well, I need to make money right away. But I didn't need to. I just didn't really want to go home and, mm -hmm. and continue to be on mom and dad's payroll any longer. Or three, you know, it's like, hey, you're great. We just have very low turnover at, here. That was, I applied to the Hawaii newspaper. I'm like, I'll go live in Honolulu. So whatever <laughs> yeah. the Honolulu Times was or whatever. And they're like, yeah, you look great. This seems like an interesting person. As you can probably imagine, you know, we have a high rate of job satisfaction and low turnover <laughs> here. Uh, I remember that one very explicitly. So I'm like, all right, this is not turning out the way I thought. Broadcast jobs, yeah, CNN, you know, like go be a foreign correspondent. Like, you get to start off generally as an unpaid intern. At least was in the early '90s. Yes. When I don't think that kind of thing was as frowned upon as it is now, right? I think oh, still a lot of people like you to come work for free for a while. I will. Let's just pause there for one second because yep. I had a similar situation when I graduated, and I really just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I maybe have said this on here before, but. You know, I think ultimately, if I do a life review, I, I would have been a great therapist, right? That's really probably at the core of who I am. And I figured out a civilian way to do that without kind of all of the, you know, that direct line path. Right. What's interesting, though, I remember sitting in a seminar where they were talking about people getting their MSW. And it was the same thing with Masters in Social Work, which was like an entry point to do that kind of work. And I remember sitting at all of 23 and thinking, I just finished all that school. I need to get paid now. Like, and I... 
And there was a little bit of a short-term view, obviously, that I, this idea of like maybe living at home for another year or, you know, living in a really cheap apartment to like get, you know, if that's something you really want to do or you really like to do, I wonder if I had just, that, that your horizon, I think, when you're that age is so short. You don't really see the forest through the tree. So just as you're talking about it, it just reminds me of myself or like, hey, you know, you can, if you're in that spot right now, maybe think about it. You know, we're, 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 you know, a lot of us were such a hurry to grow up, right? Yes. And it's yes. like, because again, yeah. I had this idea in my head that there's sort of, you know, you're going through this grind of school. I didn't like school. Much, I didn't either. And that didn't was, enjoy, right? was another factor. And I wanted to be done with it, right? But, yes. But there's this idea that, look, if you, 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 you grind it out for four years of high school, get into a good college, right? You grind it out for four years. And then at the end of that, you're, you're, you're a grown up. You're done, right? And so that was sort of my head. Like, hey, I need to be done with this. And I need to, to now start making a living for myself. Again, probably short side, but I was just so anxious to be out from under my parents yeah. a couple too i mean also that had to do with my relationship with my parents i was i was very rebellious as a kid mm. i was you know the what i felt like was that their, their big leverage over me was the financial dependence right and if i could achieve some sort of level of financial independence i could just do what i want and say hey leave me alone i've got this i'm good so that was some of my anxiousness to get a job that paid right away too. And I think it's fair to say not everybody has that option to do something unpaid. So I yeah. understand that, like where you are socioeconomic or otherwise, like you just, but I think for people that maybe do have that option, that idea of like growing too fast or taking a moment to kind of that delayed gratification. So then you started, then you mentioned that you started pretty soon thereafter as the aide and that's yeah. when you had well, he that needed a job and I needed, he needed an aide and I needed a job. And I'm like, all right, again, we'll do this for a little while. And it, yeah, one of the things that you know I, I said to myself was, look, I'm, I need a job. I'm open to sort of anything at this mm -hmm. point, right? We'll see where this leads. This could lead a number of different directions, and none of them are bad, right? So the worst thing that can happen is, you know, I don't like it, and I find something else to do for a while. So um, yeah, I went to work for him, and, and I really did fall in love with with that part of the process, and wasn't particularly good at it in, the, in being an aide, um, because <laughs> uh, you need. Uh, I was very into the substance of things, but you know the organizational skills and the executive functioning and like keeping things straight. You know, some of my old bosses will tell you they discovered you know big piles of that mail just kind of unsorted, <laughs> Un unsorted, un unattended. Like it's open. And, you know, there's an intention to to respond to a yeah. lot of it. Yeah. Um, but so people got to know me through that process, and and um, the uh, Kate Hanley, who was a, uh, on the board of supervisors, you know, knew of my work with Jim and knew what I had done. And she also knew a little bit about my shortcomings, but it was a bigger office, right? So with, with the legislative, with Jim, it was literally, I was his one aide. And so there was nobody to sort of support me. I was mm -hmm. the backstop. And going to work in her office with four other people, including somebody who was really a secretary type, was a much better fit for me, right? Because I could have somebody, it was her secretary, but she was sort of an office manager type. So she helped keep me straight and helped me, um, you know, fill in some of the gaps. So I was able to do what Kate wanted me to do, which was to you know, did the budget and legislative stuff and really keep her up to speed on all the, the more of the substantive stuff. Mm -hmm. And also, it's funny if we talk about soft skills, but um, being able to deal with people. Her biggest, the thing she liked most about me, she said, and got me the job was my temperament. And I'm not sure exactly what she meant by that. She's like, you have the right temperament for the job, which is essentially that, I mean, growing up around here and growing up in Northern Virginia, we, we have, you learn how to put up with difficult people and high maintenance people. Everybody here is very, very important, right? They all work for the government or they work for, they're a big wig at some, you know, government agency that, have, that you know, they have billions of dollars in their budget or they've got hundreds of people under them or whatever. So they're used to getting what they want. And so they call the, the, the county and say, hey, my trash isn't getting picked up. You need to do something about it right now. And a lot of people would push back and say, well, who do you think you are or whatever? And I was able to sort of just very easily roll with that, de-escalate, you know, mm -hmm. diffuse people, make sure they felt heard and maybe they didn't get the answer they were going to, they wanted, but they at least felt like somebody was listening and understood what their question was. So that was really what, what she valued, I think, and what I, and what I brought, which I thought was Again, I still I didn't realize I, I had myself. I mean, it took somebody else pointing that yeah, out to me. Yeah, it's so nice when you have someone that. And yeah. and I think what's great too, even as you're talking about, it, I don't know if you knew it about the time, but recognizing what your strengths are, and seeing them flourish in an environment where there was support to do that, versus trying to force you to be organized or force you to be excellent in that one man band. You know, it's right. like no, there's another version where actually 
your strengths are going to serve you better and you're going to have bigger impact. And I mean, that's a great lesson for that too. Yeah. One of the things, you know, I've had some great mentors and Kate really was one because yeah. I worked for in those 25 to almost 30, right? So that was a very that's formative a good, yes, time. for sure. Uh, but yeah, seeing how it was funny. So this is one of the things you learn about working in county government too. So county government is very regimented, right? And it always frustrated her and us that, um, I'll give you, here's an example. So they built a brand new office building uh, at the time over at the government center, big, mm -hmm. tall building with tons and tons of windows, right? And then they put up a wall to wall off the windows and create a hallway because the people that were gonna be in those offices were not high enough ranking to rate a office with a window, right? Oh and, my and so you goodness. couldn't have somebody who wasn't yet at whatever rank somehow have a window in, in, with a, a office with a window and people over in this office over here who were higher ranking didn't get the window. And so this idea that everybody had to be treated exactly the same, oh. right? To like an absurd point where you were like walling off the windows so the people that didn't yet deserve one didn't get one drove me crazy. And she was very much, uh, you know, everybody gets sort of managed to what they, what they need. Some people need, you know, she was flexible with me with, with my hour. She was flexible with me with you know, the organizational stuff. Other people, not as much. And they got more coaching on other things. And she always, you know, and I've always felt like, um, you don't manage everybody the same. You manage people, you know, to what they need and what, they, you know, you shore up their weaknesses and you, you know, accentuate their strengths. If you what can. was the outcome of the windows? Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. That's, I mean, that's, they I, really I, did I, build I, a wall? They really did build a wall. And so this long, what could have been designed as offices, right, with a quarter mm -hmm. in the middle, they did the quarter on the on the edge. So you, you walk up and down the corridor with these windows, but then you I go back see. into an area where the offices are. Isn't that, it's like so I funny. Mean, I, I don't decisions know Decisions that are made where you think like, I always say uh, process over judgment. I have a bit, I get really, especially there's bureaucracy. I think that plays a lot. But in any organization, uh, you can find people making decisions where you have processes in place. And yes, that's important. And there's guidelines and rules and compliance and policies. And all. I'm an HR person, right? So right. yes. And... That's why there's humans to have judgment and to be able to apply that judgment and say, you know, and you're in, in this particular hat, I mean, all day you're, you're looking at ways to adjust those things to, right. to be responsive to the needs of the people. Um, so we, I had asked you, so the attorney piece, when did, did you, I think I read that you started to go to night school for that. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think you, you talk about these on some of these, this watershed moment, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Like, Cause I remember, I still remember the day I made the decision uh, and the conversation, I just can't remember for the life of me, who the conversation was with. But anyway, because <laughs> I'd been to work for Jim and then I was working for Kate at the county and I was walking, I remember maybe playing with me on this, but I almost remember you know, coming off the elevator, walking towards my office with this person who said, so what do you want to do after this? Do you want to go work for a congressman maybe? Do you want to work for a senator? You know, Who do you want to work for next? And in this point, you're like 35, this 30? Is not, no, this is, no, this is still like 25. Okay, 25. 25. And I'm like, work for next right the, 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 who do i want to work for next <laughs> kind of just rang in my ears a little bit i'm like yeah that is the career path that i'm on i'm on a staff which is nothing wrong with that but sure. i'm on uh i'm rising through the ranks of, of the behind the scenes staff people i'm like do i want to you know continue to staff higher and higher levels of folks or do i want to be the person that gets staffed because you know as we talked about earlier, I, I also knew some of my strengths and weaknesses at this point yes and said no i actually want to be somebody who has a legislative aid i don't want to be an aide to somebody else and i decided that i needed i'm not sure whether that was accurate or not but in my head i, I like I, I need to get more education to to open that path for me it's probably time to go back to law school um and it's probably time to get another degree um to so open up more doors and you know be somebody who'll be taken seriously if I decide that I want to say, hey, no, wait a second, I'm ready to step out from behind mm. the scenes and, and and be the person out front. Uh, what credentials? What, what who am I to be able to say I can do that? Yeah, I thought having a law degree would be really helpful for that. So yeah, started going to law school at night. I applied to a couple different programs, uh, and again, Kate was great. She was she allowed me to you know have a flexible schedule. So we um, I, I worked 
Sundays because our board meetings were Monday morning. So a lot of prep for the board meetings mm -hmm. happened on Sunday nights. So I worked six days a week, but on Monday through Friday, it was like a 10 to 4 kind of a schedule. And then I made up the hours on uh, Sundays, um, you know, getting ready for board meetings. And so I would work from yeah, 9.30 or 10 to 4, 4.30. And then I'd hop in my car in Fairfax and I'd take 66 inbound. And I went to American University. Uh, and my day there started at 6. And from 6 to 10, uh, did law school in the evenings. How hard was that in terms of just the grind? And do you have a life? It I'm was guessing. difficult, but it was, uh, and, and it, it did a couple things for me. It forced me to grow up a little bit. I mean, actually having some money in your 20s and no kids, no spouse, you know, roommates in a, in a three-person house and relatively low rent, left me with a lot of free time to, yeah, you know, <laughs> You have more time than you think. And yeah. enjoy yourself. Yeah. And, and so this sort of forced me to sort of focus in on myself um, and, and you know, this goal that I wanted to achieve and a career advancement and not just... Yeah, because you can fall into patterns too, where you just like look, you get paid, you go out, you you know, you drink, you whatever, you have fun, and then you yeah. get up the next day and you do it again, yes. and you can sort of, you know, get in a rut, right? Where hey, look, I, everything's just fine, but nothing's happening this way or that way, and so I was sort of ready, I think, to you know, move forward. So it forced me to sort of break some of those habits, break away from some of those routines, because guys, I can't go out tonight. I know it's it's Tuesday, and there's a <laughs> special somewhere nickel drafts nickel drafts or whatever <laughs> drinking with lincoln or whatever but yeah, exactly. um but i've got Flips. i've got class and i got reading yeah. to do and then i gotta be up the next morning and so i'm, I'm gonna pass and yeah you're always staying i mean you still made time for friends and relationships you have weekends and it wasn't impossible to get out and do that stuff but it was and, and it gave me again it just less less time to screw around just because literally there wasn't enough time to, to get diverted um and, and for, can I ask you this question too, as uh, with respect to your earlier comments about not really liking school and, and really wanting to be done with that. And now you're, it's not, you're not that far removed, but you're putting yourself back in that situation. Tell me how, and were you engaged in a different way because you had a goal and were you, did you find that because of the writing and you were decent at that, did it, did it play to your strengths? And so it was easier. Tell me a little bit about once you got into law school, you're like, oh my gosh, here I am again. Well, that's a great question. I actually love law school. Um, really? And and all the things I hated about pretty high school uh, and to some degree college, uh, but college got better. But law school had none of that, which is, it was, and some people hate this for the same reasons. But in law school, you go, you spend your first semester in class receiving lectures. There are no quizzes. There are no tests. There's really very little evaluation along the way. And then you take these final exams at the end of the semester. And either you got it or you didn't. Um, and I remember being very nerve wracking because I'm yes. studying for these exams. I, I don't know how I'm doing. I, I think I get it. I think I know what I'm doing. And, you know, in study groups, I'm like, all right, I think I get it better than these guys. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're right. I don't know. We'll see. Um, is that all memorization of just or is it? It's it's not. Well, so this is what I like again, what I liked about it. You, you, for me, I, I, I got it. Right. Like you teach it to me and I didn't know it before. But once you tell me that the law is this way and here's why, I'm like, of course, it's this way. And of course, that's why, because it, it clicked for me. Right. And, and yeah. it worked for me. And again, you're, it's a lot of teaching, teaching people to think like a lawyer. And you can actually one of the things in, <laughs> there's a story about it when I, about BSing. But <laughs> but you can get the wrong answer <clears throat> on a law school exam and still do well if you argued it correctly right even if you end up coming to the to well that's not the law and that's not how the courts have found it but you came to that in, in a way that makes sense and shows that you understood the process and whatever even if you came to the wrong final answer you get you can get a lot of points for you know articulating what made you think that was the answer mm -hmm. uh, or you can leave it at the end like you know people hate lawyers for the old answer which is it depends right but you you can even come to an it depends conclusion as long as you've sort of like you've you figured out the issues you identified them you've done the right analysis uh, it doesn't hurt you as much as you know it's not like engineering which also by the way drove the engineers crazy because you had a lot of folks that were studying to become patent lawyers and so they had engineering or chemical backgrounds mm -hmm. and you come to the end of, of, of a class session yeah. or the end of the semester like okay that's been this has been a great conversation so what's the answer and the answer well, what do you think the answer is <laughs> like no i know i get we're doing the socratic method and everything but no it's almost exam time. What's the answer? Oh, 
tell me what do you think the answer should be and they just drove them crazy like okay this has been a fun process but at the end there's there's it's it's one or two right it's binary it's, it's zero or one rather it's you know what, what is it and you know in law school there's a lot of gray and i kind of again i like that i thrive with that i also like the idea that if i didn't do the reading the night before or if i'm falling behind it's my problem to solve as long as i catch up in time you know as long as i get it by the end of the semester then, then i'm fine so i i like that part of the process mm -hmm. and so law school was fine i liked the the socratic method i like those essentially lectures there, there's there was a little bit of lab work and writing labs because we had to learn how to do citations and stuff like that which is probably my least favorite but i didn't mind it as much so that's it was different in high school the other thing was that there were you know, in high school, there were a lot of effort points, what I called effort points, right? Like, hey, did you turn your assignment in on time? Did you do the homework? Did I? I'm like, but I got an A on the exam at the end. Why do you care, you know, that, I, that it was easier for me than it was for this guy or that I didn't do, you know, do the homework you thought I needed to do to master the material? I mastered it my own way. Why am I getting penalized for not following along? And so law school, again, didn't penalize you for any of that. It's like, however you get there, as long as you get there, at the end of the day, you're fine. So I enjoyed law school. Um, in fact, I think sometimes, you know, I get tired of doing six different things and I want to sort of retire. I don't think I'll ever want to retire, retire, go back and actually teach law school would be And then fun. did I read that you were a prosecutor? So as a prosecutor, um, and that's another interesting piece of this, right? So go to law school, you know, graduate and looking for things to do. And I'm, I get married my final year of law, or engaged my final year of law school. And my, my new wife's like, yeah, I don't think you want to be a, a, a litigator. I'm like, what do you mean? And she, again, she's known me now. And again, mm -hmm. some of those same skills that made me a terrible legislative aide, right? It's like, you know, you got to have a trial notebook. You got to be really organized. It's a really detail-oriented job. And it's like, you know, the part where you get up and argue is like a really small piece of it. And a lot of stuff builds up to that. And you know, I'm like, all right, you don't think I can do is it. she you also an attorney? Like, no. did you meet her at law school? No. Okay. No, but she, she knew me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm like, look, nobody goes to law school. Nobody goes to flight school to fly, you know, cargo jets, right? Everybody goes to flight school, they want to be fighter pilots, right? And not everybody gets to be a fighter pilot, yeah. or maybe you do that for a little while. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's a lot of good reasons that flying cargo is safer and it's regular and it gives you a lot of benefits, but that's not what you start out to do. I'm like, no, I didn't go to law school to to, to do other things. I, I did to law school to become a, a, a trial attorney and not just low stakes trial stuff like criminal law, right? That's what I want to do. So um, I did, I mean, I went, to, I was, I joined the army because Talk about your, your time horizons, right? So yeah. now at this point, I'm 29 going on 30, which again, feels like, wow, I'm like behind, you know, I took this time off before I went, I went at night, so it took me longer and I'm, I'm almost 30 years old. I'm just graduating and I don't want to, you know, work behind some, you know, partner as a junior associate for another five years. I want to get to work right away. And the army said, essentially, you'll get your own client contact. You'll do your own meaningful work. You'll handle your, manage your own case file as soon as we decide you're able to, right? It's the meritocracy of the military mm -hmm. like hey we'll give you as much responsibility as you can handle and um my experience i know some people say that my recruiter lied to me it's like one of the favorite army sayings is my recruiter lied but for me it turned out to be just that the case i mean I, my first six months i was running a, a tax center at fort meyer and and we'll go work in the legal assistance office but that's sort of as I learned later, that's sort of where they you're where they, they really size you up. Like there's only so much you can learn from a resume sure. and somebody's interview somewhere and, and in processing. And so they need some time to actually look at you and like, okay, Marcus can do this, right? He's good. And so I went over to the uh, trial counsel side, which we call a prosecutor and prosecutor's office, um, and started you know, taking on first as a second chair, but then taking on more and more difficult cases. Uh, and it was miserable. I mean, I was doing exactly what I wanted, right? I said, hey, I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to be the fighter pilot. I'm going to do this. Uh, and, you know, it was hard for me, right? I, again, getting organized for trial, like, probably took me. I was in the office till 10 or 11 o'clock at night, not because there was six or seven hours worth of work to do, but for me, it took me that mm -hmm. long to get it organized. And then I was super anxious about it. I couldn't really separate. I hadn't developed that crust that they say, like, a lot of litigators or doctors or some people need to do where you create the separation between what you're what your people are experiencing in your own personal life. So I took it all very personally. I wanted to win everything. I took, if anything went wrong, I was mm. very, very embarrassed if I made a mistake and I made lots of mistakes. Um, and so then I worked twice as hard to try to, to try and avoid those you know, from happening in the future. Um, and then some of the work you did with criminal law, I mean, right, child abuse, child sex abuse cases, and that's just hard stuff to, to carry around. Yeah. So did you go through boot camp and the whole thing? Yeah, and like yeah. you went in it like as an well, officer? Like no. How so it's funny about that. That's another funny. So 
you go in as an officer. So graduate from law school and you go in as a first lieutenant and you go to Fort Lee at the time. I'm not sure where they do it now. Um, and it's a three week program where we really call it sort of salute school, where they teach us lawyers to actually behave like soldiers. Um, and literally how to wear the uniform. Is it to, just is it just lawyers in that? In my particular in the, cohort, it was. That, okay. yeah, I think they probably have a similar program for doctors and other professionals that I come see. in. But you know, everybody's like, particularly some of my old roommates who'd seen how messy I was, like, I have to make your bed every morning. I'm like, so I get to, I call them back, I like, guess what, guys? I'm staying at a Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> literally, I was at a Holiday Inn Express just off post because they didn't have enough housing for us. So the lawyers got to stay at a hotel. So somebody else was making my bed every morning. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you learn how to wear the uniform and you learn how to salute and how to return a salute. You learn how to shine your boots. You learn that you need to shine your boots before they get dirty, which was news to me. I, like, I didn't realize. Yeah. I, like, I thought only shine my shoes once they get dirty. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. Right out of the box, you've got to shine them up. So they teach you again how to. It's probably great. From a discipline, I feel like I'm sure no matter what age, probably we could all I can go now and benefit from some of that it was structure. Great. And there was also um, some of the things, the lessons I've learned too uh, that, that have really stuck with me are uh, talk about your soft skills, but the, the army culture stuff and, and the mm-hmm. culture of the military, and and how to deal with in a very hierarchical system, right? So how do you deal with people ranked above you and below you, and they run us through some some ethical things and like, I remember one of these examples they gave mm-hmm. us was you know your immediate supervisor or one of your cohorts you know adultery is illegal in the in the military right and you see him leaving a motel room with a woman who's not his wife what do you do right and a lot of us like we report you know, thinking it's a test right we're supposed to report it right we said we report it and, and the answer is you talk to him about it like what you know and it seems obvious now right but it's like there could have been any number of reasons. Maybe she was somebody having a crisis. Maybe she was, you know, you know, a, somebody was on drugs and he was there to try and do an intervention. I mean, any number of things. But give the person, you know, your peer or whoever it is, the opportunity to explain themselves. Don't go immediately and start reporting people. Even though the rule might be, you know, little things like that. But I mean, remember, it encouraged you to have peer-to-peer conversations first before you started to do other things and to give people the benefit of the doubt and all kinds of things like that. And, and, but also a certain amount of integrity you had to have about your own self too. With what if people approach you wanting to do this, how do you, how do you say no to things like that? And when does it become something that you need to report all those sorts of things? That's probably a really small part of the program, yeah. but it's something that's sort stuck of stuck with, with me for a long time. When you were, I think it's so at first I love how, honest you are about that not being what you thought it was going to be because I think there's a lot of people that find themselves in that situation and you had done all of this work and preparation to get you there and so tell me a little bit about that realization of I don't like it or I'm not good at it and what did you do next well yeah it's interesting it, it, I mean looking backwards it seems like it was easy but no it's hard to at the time uh-huh. it wasn't like yeah, you know, it's like, no, this is exactly what I wanted to do and I'm doing it. And, and, you know, you have this vision of myself going into be like, you know, an LA law type TV sure. lawyer. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to, to let go of it at first. Right. Um, and I think it helps to have somebody as lucky to have a partner who could do that in a, in a, you know, way like, look, this isn't for you. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It doesn't mean I love you any less. It doesn't mean, you know, it just isn't who you are. And to have somebody sort of help coach you through that, I think probably was important. Yeah. But at some point, I mean, you reached a natural, and so my three-year, I was in there for a three-year commitment. My commitment was coming up, and I had to decide whether to renew or not. Um, and the next option in the military would have been made a defense counsel. So part of me said, well, you know, my problem is that I'm on the government side, and I'm prosecuting. I'm really not a prosecutor. This isn't really what I, I'm actually much more defense-oriented, and their job is different. All they have to do is poke a hole. You know, the, the prosecution has to build this case step-by-step, step, and maybe I'll be better at the other piece of it. Maybe I'll like that more or whatever. But ultimately, we made the decision, Rachel and I, that we weren't, you know, the military lifestyle wasn't for us. And so I was going to get out. So it sort of forced me to really think about, okay, well, what do I want to do next, right? Do I going to go work maybe for a Commonwealth attorney's office somewhere doing what I'm doing in the private sector? I'm like, no, I really didn't like it, right? I mean, that's what sort of told me that, you know, yeah. why don't I find something else? And, and then I actually didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, I, I, I knew I was going to get out of law school. I knew what I, I, I was, I spent all this time to go to law school and become a lawyer and I've been doing it for a while that I need to be a lawyer somehow, but I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And so we're, um, this is 2003, uh, our mortgage rates are going down. Um, and so we were refinancing our house. It just happened to be time, you know, it'd gone down like a percent and a half. It was like, everybody says it's a good time to go refinance. And so 
I go and I sit in this conference room and I'm waiting and we finally sit down to, to refinance our house and it's great. Everything's great. My, my payment's going down a couple hundred dollars a month. Um, there's a mistake on the settlement statement, but it meant we were getting another thousand dollars back and I was going to get this refund later. I'm just in a great mood. And this is all good news. <laughs> and the person who's sitting with us going over the papers and I, I look at her card and it's like, says Esquire. I'm like, you're an attorney. She's like, yeah. I'm like, this seems like a much better way to make a living. <laughs> like, is everybody you work with this happy? And she's like, well, no, you're you're happier than most. But <laughs> but generally, you know, people, it's a good reason for people to be, you know, because look at the different kinds of law you could practice. You start thinking about it. Like, well, I didn't like criminal law because everybody was at a really low point, right? And I, I remember one of my child sex abuse cases and, uh, you know, the victim's family is miserable and they're unhappy. And, you know, the perpetrator's spouse is like, well, who's supposed to, you know, help me support my kids now? And all this stuff is going on. And, yeah. and at the end of the day, I got the exact result that I wanted and nobody was happy with me. And here I am doing this real estate settlement. I'm like, you're doing your job and I'm thrilled. It's like, is everybody? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, well, all right. Let's be family law where people are getting divorced and they're generally unhappy. Criminal law, wills and estates, you know, people are planning for death or there's somebody's just getting over bereavement. I'm like, this is just a really happy time for everybody. Like, all right, you know what? You guys hiring? They're like, yeah, we, we can't get enough people. Interest rates are going down. You know, we, we, we're always looking for good people. So I'm like, all right, I'll apply for a job here. Why not, right? I'll do this for wow. a while until I figure out what I want to do, right? Like, I don't really want to do this. I'm going to do this until I figure out what I want to do. And so uh, I end up interviewing with them and get hired and start doing real estate settlements. And, you know, people would say, how do you like your new job? And this also would drive my wife crazy, but she'd be like, how do you like, I love it. It's so easy. And she's like, don't say that. Like, nobody <laughs> wants to stay here. I mean, yeah, you, you know the Washington metro area, right? I mean, there's sort of this culture of, no, here's what I'm doing, and here's it's how like, challenging right. and how important it is and how hard I had to work to get here. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is a great job. It's so easy. Cause compared to what it was, it was really easy. I mean, I remember, you know, you get behind by half an hour, and so somebody's sitting in the lobby, and everybody's getting all stressed out. And I'm like, guys, this is not stressful. You know, this yeah. is going to be okay. I'll go talk to them and tell them why we're behind and it's going to be fine. I had to worry about if I didn't get a piece of evidence incorrectly that the yeah, you was had going to go this idea or if I was wrong, somebody yeah. in jail who, who didn't deserve to be there. Right. So like this is much lower stress. Of course, your stress tolerance I've learned over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I now get super stressed out if somebody's waiting in the lobby because <laughs> your tolerance for stress goes, it adjusts to whatever you yeah. have a, a crisis at the moment. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I loved it. I enjoyed it. And then what really ended up the work. So the work itself was not difficult. The work wasn't very challenging, but I enjoyed the entrepreneurial piece of it. And so about a year, about six months in, we had a big upheaval in the office I was working in. And the, um, the, the owner, one of the, one of the founders of the company and the, one of the managers and whatever literally just got up one day and moved across the street and hung up a sign and literally started in competition with us right across the street. Wow, and so, that's pretty ballsy. Yeah, <laughs> and they took and they took all the best employees with them, and everybody moved across. I was like on the I was like the new guy, so I had no idea what was going on. Apparently, this had been in the works for for months, yeah. right? And all of a sudden, everybody up and left, and so we went from being yeah the number one office in our company to like the very bottom. Teresa's new book, Soft Skills I Learned the Hard Way, is out and available on Amazon. She writes about many epic fails throughout her career and how she learned from them so you don't have to. This book is full of cheat codes for how you can differentiate yourself when it matters, like in interviews, trying to get a promotion, or being a first-time leader. As always, thank you, Relatable Community. We are so grateful for your support and continued listenership. As of today, we are 10,000 listeners strong. Now back to the show. We had these monthly, weekly calls, yeah, monthly meetings, monthly calls, and you'd see, you know, how many deals did you get in each month, right? How many clients have you attracted and so forth? And there was this very, and I'm like, all right, I've got nowhere to go what up from here, right? So I took over the office, actually, about after about a year, I ended up taking over that office. And I really enjoyed, you know, going out and networking, meeting real estate agents and loan officers and other referral sources and stuff. And so the law piece really became almost secondary. I mean, I was, I was good at that, but that was the easy part. You could learn all the law I needed in the first six months on the job. Uh, but I really enjoyed what ended up being the entrepreneurial piece and going out and winning customers. And yeah, I just whoever was the next office on the list, I'm like, all right, yeah, next month we're going to try and pass them. And Wait, did you play sports? I, like for, I didn't do, um, not really. I, I took up running later in life. Actually, um, yeah, much later. 
I heard one of your other guests, a lot of running analogies, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, I swam growing up, so I was actually more of the, I didn't have a lot of um, eye-hand coordination. The reason I asked is just the idea of when you were starting to talk about the competitive nature of here's the goal or the, you know, kind of the bogey of like, I'm going to hit that and then I'm going to get that. And then, I'm you know, that, and that seemed to fuel your yeah, energy. Yeah, I, I, I think some of that probably came a little bit from swimming too, right? Because there was always somebody on the chart ahead of you, right? And I wanted to get, yeah. you know, NVSL swimming, it's like, I want to get, you know, from the B meet to the A meet. So we literally had your know, time charts, right? It's like, well, I got to, if I can get faster than that person, then I can go. If I can get my time down and, yeah. and you just worked yeah. your way up till you were, you know, in the A meets, and then if you were in the A meets, you wanted to get moved into lane three, right? And so away from the edges a, into the middle there's lane. There's always a penthouse, there's, man, no matter what thing you're doing. Something. Yeah. yeah. So it's sort of like that. But again, it was, um, if we do three more, five more deals and I can get there versus the person at the very front of the chart, that's, you know, that's, they're doing you know, five, six times as much as I am. So I'm like, that didn't wasn't realistic, but it gave you an incremental way to, to get How progress. much were you motivated by money or was it more about the winning? Or is it both? It's both. It was interesting. So another big adjustment going from the army to the private sector, which was, um, and, and so most of my experience until that point had been in government, right? And whether it was local government, uh, state government, or now even the military. And most of the, my peers and most of the people I worked with were very mission oriented, right? They were there because of you know, a higher calling of some sort, right? right? Yeah. You know, people in local government were trying to make the world better for other folks, whether it was social work, whether it was police, they were, there, there was a mission. And the military very much, uh, hey, Obviously. very mission oriented. Yeah. And we all could be, pretty lawyers in the army, we all could be making more money elsewhere, right? But we were about, you know, doing something different. And then I got to, you know, a title company. It's like, yeah, how much money can we make this month? Right. It was literally all about money. Why are we doing this? Because, you know, it's going to make our lifestyle more comfortable. So that was a bit of an adjustment. Um, and in some ways I wasn't, I, you know, again, my wife was working, she was in sales. She was doing very well financially. So we weren't, I wasn't hungry, you know, in that sense. Um, so I think the competition probably was more of a motivator for me. I mean, obviously I knew there was money associated with that. Um, and you know, doing well financially was important. Um, but you know, for me, again, it was, it gave me a little mission, right? A little problem to solve and mm -hmm. a little place to go, I think. Um, and then you've stayed with it. Like you ultimately, it's been your, so then, in, so, so, so then we get to talk about twists and turns, right? So yes. five years into that. And so I, it, it took me five years and we, I actually got all the way to the top of the chart. Well, not me and old town, Alexandria, old town's another well-to-do area. <laughs> And we would go back and we, 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 I was tailing them for a while. And, and finally, one month I passed them. Um, and it was literally the, the, yeah, the top of the chart. I was very excited about that. Uh, and then the um, financial crisis of 2008 came around, right? And um, the hmm. big changes at the company. We had, you know, we had to start laying, I mean, volume dropped out from under us. We were laying people off. You know, everybody was being told to tighten their belts. And all the offices were, were told to do these things. And I really pushed back. Uh, on a lot of that at the company because I'm like, I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. I've done everything right. And you guys are asking me to make the, the, the cutbacks. I'm still growing. You know, why should I have to let people that I see every day, you know, go when you guys are still big, all kinds of problems. At any rate, at some point in 2008, they fired all of us, right? All the lawyers and then hired everybody back except for me. I think me and one other person. And it was like, no, Marcus, you think you know better than us. You give us a hard time. You're not being a good soldier about this to some extent, you know, and um, so no, and I'm like, that's fine. And so me and a couple of others that didn't like the way that the company was being run went off and we started our own company, uh, in 2008. And yeah, nice about being fired. I don't have to worry about non-competes or anything else. Like, <laughs> hey, you guys told yeah. me to start my own thing. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. So we started Echo Title in 2008 in the middle of a, you know, big you know, real estate that's downturn right. and everything. But, um, you know, it turned out fine. I mean, it was, so we started small and we grew and we started with, we shared an office with a company in Vienna that thought it would be temporary. They thought it was a temporary downturn. They'd, they'd make some money by letting us share this, their office space. And then we had a company that literally went out of business in Fredericksburg and we just moved right into their space, took their copiers, the computers and everything. We just yeah. took over, put our name out front. So we had an office and a half and within, I'd say what, the first four years or so, we were up to like seven locations and 50 employees and we were all over the place. And now we're up to nine and... You know, we're going through a similar sort of reset right now, but yeah, yeah we're, we're well, we're, we're in, a good, in good shape to handle it. And that was talking about very entrepreneurial and that was motivated by a number of, and one, we wanted to succeed, right? It was a challenge and, and there was a risk, you know, for a while there that it just wouldn't work. Um, and like a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, you start the first six months and sweat equity and is working without pay until you've got enough revenue coming in to pay your people first and then you got to 
cover your costs and things like that. And then eventually you get to a place where you can pay yourself. So yeah, I was, we could afford to do that for a little while, but at some point it's like, Hey, we got to make this thing profitable so I can start paying myself. Right. It's interesting as you're talking and I, I kind of, it's, it's giving me this idea of at each juncture and the things that you've talked about in terms of your journey, this entrepreneurial spirit, it really shows up in a lot of different ways. And I think that's something about being an entrepreneur. Like when I started my own thing five years ago, I never would have considered myself an entrepreneur because I worked in these massive organizations and I had, like, I don't know that you would think of yourself and you go into the military as an entrepreneur, right? Because you're part of this massive right. entity. What I find though, is like even within these entities, it, when I think about my own journey, but as you're talking too, it's like these entrepreneurial moves of like, I'm gonna risk something here because I, I know that I want something more. So, and that's what it sounds like to me as you're talking, like I, you've had these moments of like, this is good and I've learned something, but now I want something more and I want to learn something different or this has been good, but now I see this pathway. And like, I love the, like there's been intention and some strategy, but then also this idea of like where your strengths fit in and like, how do they play? And then the idea of like, once you got to be a prosecutor and you had that dream and then this idea of like, oh, it's easy and it's fun and you like it, but you've spent time building up your technical capability and your ability to critically think about things. Like all of that leads you to be able to be successful. So when you say like, it's so easy, it's because the the technical component of what you had to do, you like spent a good amount of time right. with your, your, like your writing skills and everything that applies to being able to be good at that that then you could feed this other part of yourself that seems to really now be, it's just, it's such a great, I think, demonstration of like how that works and then works. And then you have this whole other path now, you know, that you've weaved in, in terms of the social, social kind of community aspect. Yeah. Well, the other piece that the, the skill that suited me really well for, for the real estate settlement piece was funny. It's funny enough. And I, I didn't plan for the conversation to take this arc, but it's the same <laughs> skill that, that Kate Hanley identified in me, you know, 20 years earlier, which is the, the, the people skills, right? The, the, the ability, yeah, the, the, the temperament, right? And because one of the big- Perfect segue, because that's well, where I was headed. <laughs> well, look, one of the things that, that at, at a real estate settlement, you know, not a lot can go wrong, but when things go wrong, people get really heated about it. And a huge part of my job is to de-escalate. You know, de and like, look, yeah, this is like, people come in like mad, ready to walk away from their million dollar home purchases over you know a $250 repair that didn't get made. And it's not fair. And somebody was supposed to do it. And they didn't do what they said. And I'm out of here. I'm like, yeah. All right, sit down. Nobody's out of here, right? We're going to be yeah. fine. This is going to be okay. And that was really what um, the skill I think that really drove my success was that I got a reputation for bring your deals to markets. If anything goes wrong, he'll know how to to handle it. He'll know how to make sure that everything goes smoothly. And at the end, I always made a little challenge too because people uh, in the refinance boom, we were so busy and mistakes got made all the time and people got came in mad, right? And they would come in, uh, you know, they start out mad because this is, you, you've been in the, your lobby for 45 minutes and this number is not what I thought it was going to be and nobody told me any of this. And they're like, okay. And so I made my, my little goal with each one was like, we're going to be friends by the time we leave. We're going to be laughing and you're going to be in a good mood and I'm going to yeah. work it out. But I got 45 minutes to do it because I got another person coming in right away. So yeah. at any rate, yes, finding those things. And, and I just fell into that. That was, well, I don't know if it fell, but it was, it was good fortune to find a job that, that helped me use that skill to, to, yeah. I have one lingering question before we kind of move into the soft skills question, which is on the legislative side, you know, on, yeah. the, on the, like in terms of your political component of your life and being in this role that you've been in and the, and like needing to be reelected every two years, like I have a question about the future of you and politics. And do you see yourself doing anything different in that space? Uh, so let me ask that first. And then this, the second question is about that kind of, gosh, you know, every two years having to kind of go through that process again and again. Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I've actually, um, I get the question a lot about my future, but, you know, running for the House of Delegates while I was at, while I was also, you know, starting my own business and everything was, was an interesting challenge, but it was an, it was one of these opportunities that came about. Uh, Jim Scott decided to retire and, you know, my business is relatively new and my family is, is young. My kids yeah. are young. My wife's like, yeah, can't we wait a few years? I'm like, these opportunities don't come yeah. along like that. Like I can't say, Hey, somebody else can run for you know the next four years or six years. And then when I'm ready, I'll, I'll step back in. I was like, this is my opportunity to do this now. So I went ahead and took advantage of that opportunity. And it turns out a lot of the skills I'd learned building the business really translated really well to 
to retail politics. I mean, we call it retail politics for a reason, right? So just the same things I do, I go into a, an office of real estate agents and try and explain to them why they should pick me. Very similar to going into a room full of constituents and saying, why well, you should vote for me. It's this different yeah. pitch, but it's the same mm -hmm. basic conversation, right? And I take the same approach now to politics with the benefit of hindsight. My political career, my, my professional career, I figure they're gonna go the same way. I wanna continue to do things that will create opportunities for me, but I don't necessarily, I'm not that person who says, I'm gonna do two years here and then I'm gonna run for this uh -huh. and then this person should be ready to retire then and I'm gonna primary them and, and I've got this path to be governor or president or whatever. I, I'm like, cause I a lot of people ask, do you wanna run for statewide office? Do you wanna run for leadership? Do you wanna run, move over to the Senate where you only have to run every four years? I'm like, well, let's wait and see. You know, I, I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing. I enjoy it, I like where I am. And I think if I, if I work hard and continue to, to do well, then these opportunities will present themselves. And I want to be in a position to take advantage of the opportunities when they present and themselves. And it seems to me, I don't know if this is by design or not, but as someone, like you have these like two sides of like the altruistic side that gets fed in terms of the service and the community side. And then, you know, on the commercial side and the private side, that's a little bit more of like a, I would think like it's a little more mercenary, right? I mean, and that's, <laughs> yeah. That, 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 and like you get, to, I mean, talk about kind of being able to feed both sides. So, and that helps a lot, right? I mean, because as I said, like I said, it was a big adjustment. I mean, we'd literally sit around and think about ways we could make more money and extract more money from customers and, and everything. Yeah, that's just a weird adjustment for me. Yeah. And again, and so being able to run for office, so, so the rationalization is, you know, it's, it's relatively easy. As far as practice of law goes, it's, it's fairly nine to five. I mean, I gotta take calls after hours and stuff, but I'm not like when I was doing trial prep, when I literally have to be there till all hours of the night getting yeah. ready for a trial. So regular hours, very predictable. And so, you know what? I can go to a community meeting at 6.30 because I know I'll be done with work by then. Uh, my weekends are generally free, so I can go to do other things. Just really lucky for me. Real estate is really, really slow in January and February. Most people, I don't know, but almost nobody's buying and selling houses. Guess when we go to our general assembly session? January and February. Yeah. So it's like literally That's the perfect cool. time for me to be out of the office. But yeah, it does. So, but it's a nice it, blueprint if somebody's looking to think about a career path and have some opportunity to do both. It's an interesting yeah. way to, to be it's, able to do it. And it's working. Again, I didn't go necessarily with that plan, but it's worked sure. out great. And it does. And, and, and it gives me that sense of fulfillment that, hey, I'm, you know, yeah, I grew up with a, my dad worked for Ralph Nader growing up. And so mm -hmm. it was very much, uh, you know, your career is a way to make a living, but it's really also about changing the world for the better. And so this gives me an opportunity to touch people's lives and, and change things and solve problems. And fix I mean, the other people. thing is I was just at a fundraising event the other night um, for the Shar School at George Mason, and they're talking about trying to get people to sponsor internship programs, which is a great, it's a great thing that they're doing. And this idea of we had I had a whole conversation with someone at that event around the business of government and, and bringing smart, capable people in business. And, and there's a lot more partnership now where the government is seeing the value of that and being able to, to apply exactly what you said. Those skills are the same. Yep. And how can we, you know, modernize if that's even the right word, but transform really so that we're just as effective on that side. So I think the fact that you kind of wear these two hats and you're, and look, you're going to, you're learning things in your private business, right. That you can apply. It's, it's, it's real time. It's like, you'll learn something there and it, it's something that could work in that space too. So I think it's really great to be able to, to be able to serve both and then, and have the kind of altruistic side benefit from it. So tell me about like you, I think you mentioned it maybe already, but from a soft skills perspective for you, what do you think have been the, the like two, one or two that have really served you well? given everything you've described? Because I feel like there's a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, the writing is, it's not necessarily just writing, right? It's-, it's um, Compelling, well, influence. Well, clear explaining. So I guess my superpower is like taking really complicated ideas and making them understandable for almost any audience. I can restate something. I learned that, some of that was my journalism training even back yeah, in college, like, right? Because mm -hmm. you gotta like, Right, yeah. right to the eighth grade level mm -hmm. and the inverted pyramid and get yes. the most important stuff out there. And then learning to write for military briefings. One of the things I love, mm. it's something called the bluff system, bottom line up front, right? Because your commander doesn't have a lot of time. So this is the bottom line and here's how I got that. Nobody wants to be held in suspense, right? Don't. It's so, so true. So what's your point? Oh no, I'm getting to it, I'm building up to it. It's like, no, <laughs> first tell me your conclusion then tell me how you got there. If I, I, may, I may agree with you right off the bat, then we don't need to know, everybody agrees. 
So the writing, but it's the communication skills. I mean, it's really literally just being able to, and I do that a lot in the General Assembly too, at the end of, you're taking a lot of testimony from a lot of different people and being able to sort of set sum everything up. Like, so, so here's what I've heard, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or and and even the people you disagree with, if you can articulate back to them, in very simple terms, their position, and th- then they can, okay, I've been heard, I've been understood, okay, and that's great. And we're not going to do that because I think you know these are the higher priorities. Or this boils down to a what do you value more? And I understand that you value this more. I think a better public policy is to value this more. And so you're going to have to take a back seat. People are like, that's fine. I get it. Like, you got it. You heard me. I wish you'd come to a different conclusion, but, but you know, we're fine. So that's the sort of soft skill. And again, it comes through in, in my writing, but it also, I think, comes through in, in the way I talk to people. Um, and law school trains you for that, too. I mean, trial work, you know, learning how to explain to a panel the process, the, the science behind a urinalysis, right? Because you're taking people out on a, on a positive test, you have to explain to them how that all worked in a way that they can understand. You have a limited amount of time, just their attention span, right, to, to get it yeah. in. So those are the, and again, every step, you know, I think I've been learning more of that. And then the temperament piece is, it's trainable, I guess, but I mean, it's sort of, you know, not to say I don't get mad, I can't, I, I don't have moments where I, I, I lose my temper and get upset, but for the most part, I'm able to sort of take in everything as information without taking it too personally and and you know help people yeah you know, again so it's just the same thing it's saying back to like i get i understand you're angry i think you're angry because right mm-hmm. um yeah i have a, and i have certain little spiels that i'll do but like you know look i you, this was somebody was dishonest with you and you feel like you've been lied to they're like yes that's exactly it I'm like, okay and, and that's it you know what's so interesting <laughs> about that example like that's a that's a it's a brief sentence so you're able it seems like you're able to in very short order give context and explanation so that you can move forward. And that is, that is a real gift. Like the, the, the over explaining or the, you know, uh, someone that's just breaking it down to the point that now you've lost your audience. And so that ability to be concise and gain agreement, even if there's a disagreement, I mean, that's a pretty powerful gift for sure. Yeah. Like I said, that's, that's why I think I do best and I like it. And, um, yeah, again, all my training has sort of built that up, right? Yeah. Whether it's the, the journalism training, the legal training, um, having difficult parents that I have to deal with, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. And then um, my last question is really, uh, it's one of my favorites, is just if you were to put your arm around young Marcus and you were going to give him some guidance or advice, what would you tell him? Like that, that make the path maybe a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean, it depends how young, but probably maybe like your twenty-five-year-old yeah, I mean, self. I think you know, it's, it's sort of hard. Or depending when you needed it the most. <laughs> well, I, 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 given that I'm actually pretty happy with the way everything's turned out, right? It's sort of hard to to say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, what would you have done differently? Because again, I, you know, even though some of those experience, like again, although being a prosecutor probably wasn't the best fit, I don't know that I would trade. I don't know. I'd tell myself, hey, don't do that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you know what. Maybe you don't, I don't, wouldn't, if, if somebody had told me I was, how miserable I was going to be, I might not have done it, but I do think that I've gained by having had that experience, right? Um, sure. I would tell probably, I, I would do a couple things, and I was, so, because I have, I have a son who's 17, who is kind of like little Marcus, right? There you <laughs> go, yeah, <laughs> so, for sure. So, one thing I'd say is, listen, don't date your high school girlfriend for four years of college. That was a terrible decision. <laughs> Um, that was a mistake and I missed out on a lot, particularly since she dumped me like as soon as we graduated. But, um, that's actually really good advice. I think people, the whole, yeah. But look, things are going to be different. And and, and I guess maybe that's what it is. It's like, don't get too married. And this is the advice I give my kids. I guess it's it's don't get too married to to whatever that long-term vision you have of things are. Be, 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 keep yourself open to opportunities uh, and other experiences. Don't be judgmental. I mean, I think if you'd asked me before I got to law school, if I'd be a real estate attorney, I'd, I'd probably scoff and look down my nose. Like, right. Who would want to do that? That's boring. You know, it's not difficult. It's not um, challenging. And it's very pedestrian. And that's like, yeah, that's like the lower tier of lawyers. I probably would look down my nose. I probably would grab myself and say, dude, be open to whatever. People pick you know, the area of the law that they practice for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. And so be open to, to those things. I think it's probably, again, don't get too hyper-focused on, on this end game and think there's only one way to get there. Uh, and maybe don't be so judgmental about, again, what some of those alternative yeah. paths look like. I love it. Thank you so much. This was really fun. And I really enjoyed talking to you. And I feel like 
so many great examples of those pivots and turns. So I really appreciate you taking well, you, the time. Well, you did miss your calling by not being a therapist. I feel like this has been a great... <laughs> I've thought about like things that I, I mean, having these conversations forced me to sort of think about things in a way I hadn't before. And I do feel like I've just experienced a very good therapy. Oh, thanks so. for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been fun. Right. Well, good luck in the future. I can't wait to see what else you're going to do. All right, thanks. There's good things to come. Marcus, thank you so much for joining me on Relatable and for all of your wisdom and insight. Three key takeaways, embrace unexpected opportunities, adaptability and effective communication are crucial, and cultivate open-mindedness for soft skills success. And definitely be able to pivot when what you thought you wanted isn't quite right. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and Hannah for your support. A big thank you to our Relatable community. We continue to grow our audience and really appreciate our listenership. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe either on YouTube or your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor at tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.